0: Daniel chapter 1 verse 8 But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank so he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials and the commander of the officials said to Daniel I am afraid of my lord the king who has appointed you food p- appointed your food And your drink, for why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the other youths who are your own age? Then he would make me forfeit my head. But Daniel said to the overseer whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days, and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence. And the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. So we talked about this last time, how Daniel had made a decision in his mind to follow the teachings that he had gotten as a Jew in Jerusalem. He didn't want to eat the king's choice food, although it was great food from the king's own table. That's how much he wanted to see the advancement of these young people, because he was training them to be ministers, to be secretaries in his cabinet, to be ministers in his parliament, in his his kingdom. And so he took very good care of them. But Daniel did not want to defile himself. And as believers, there are decisions that we make. Whereas everybody else can partake of it. But we make decisions not to do the things of this world. And then it says that he sought permission. He didn't just slam his hand on the table and say, I'm not going to do it. And it was interesting what Eshpenaz, what the, the chief of the officials, said to him. He says, you know, I'm afraid said in verse 10, I'm afraid of my Lord the King who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the King. So he even reveals to Daniel his own fears. So there was quite a relationship there where his own boss is revealing to him his fears of how he could do this. So Daniel then goes and he appeals then to somebody else. He, appe- he appeals to, to uh, the overseer who is commander over just that discrete group, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so, so you could see several levels of training and authority that was going on. And this man agrees to test him for 10 days. Daniel thinks up the arrangement for the testing of him for 10 days. And he tries it. And Daniel's appearance is better than all the other youths. And so as we talked about last time, how God intercedes when we make decisions. God intercedes. Now let's read on in verse 14. So he listened to them in this matter and he tested them for ten days. And at the end of ten days their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseers continued to withhold their choice food and the wine that they were to drink, and kept giving them vegetables. Verse 17, as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. So remember what they have to study here. They have to study the occult practices of that society. They have to study the astrology of that society. They had to learn these sort of things along with the science, along with the language, and they became so good in Aramaic, half of of Daniel is written in Aramaic. And so Daniel is quite able to handle the language. So we don't always get to take all the courses that we want to take. And in fact, many of these courses didn't even match up with the things that, that they particularly enjoyed or particularly wanted but they had to learn it. It was something necessary for them. It says, as for these four youths, these four youths that God that had dedicated themselves to following the ways of God, and they weren't the only four among the nobility that was taken, that was being trained in this way, but these four were being treated differently by God because of decisions that they had made. Decisions that they had made resulted in this. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. God gave them knowledge and intelligence. It's not like wow well, they persisted and they just studied and studied and that's No, it says God interceded in their lives. God gave them. This is really important. You can get you can get well educated without calling upon God. You really can. But to be a believer. To be one who fears God and to call upon God for grace and help can bring enormous help. And this is what it says. God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of, of, uh, of literature and wisdom. All the different subjects that they had to study, God gave them. Then he says, in addition to this, Daniel was given something special. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. And we're going to see the outworking of that gift. It comes from God. We're going to see the outworking of it. So, Daniel gave them, the, the, gave them this, this kind of uh, uh, wisdom and intelligence. Dan, uh, I'm sorry. God gave Daniel this kind of wisdom and intelligence. And all, all, to Daniel, he gave him understanding of visions and dreams. Now, verse 18. Now comes graduation. So, remember, it was three years they were in this program. Then at the end of the days which the king had specified pr- for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. So the king himself would test to see how well that they had done. And so the king tested all the young men that had been in training for three years. And the king himself didn't find any that compared to these four. And so what he did is he brought them into his personal service. He didn't want them going out and being his ministers in the kingdoms. He wanted them in his personal service. Who is it that brings the promotion in the life of the believer? God can bring the promotion in the life of the believer. God interceded on these young men's lives. These young men dedicated their lives to wanting to honor the the commandments of God, and God interceded in their lives. God interceded, and He made them excel beyond all their peers. And, And how much did they excel? It says in verse 20, "...as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better." then all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. And Daniel continued under the first year of Cyrus the king. So Daniel is actually going to live through five Babylonian kings. And, and it's not that all of them died. I think three of them died during his tenure. But there, some, some left, left the city of Babylon. But he will serve under five different kings. And then he's going to serve into the, into the kingdom of, of Cyrus, And Cyrus appoints Darius, so he's going to serve under Cyrus and Darius. So he lived to be well into to around 90 years old, somewhere around that age. So he lived through many kings. But it says, as for every matter of wisdom and understanding, this is unusual. This is not just one subject area that they were made really, really special. It was in every subject they were made special every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better. Why would the Scriptures say that they're ten times better? Because they were ten times better. That means that, means that for every one question that everyone else could answer, these guys could answer ten. That's what it means. Right? And imagine what they must have been doing to the curve during this three years of study. I mean, these, these guys are getting getting 10, these guys are getting 100 and everybody else is getting 10 on the exams. That's what 10 times better means. It doesn't say twice as good. It doesn't say significantly better. It specifically says 10 times better. Take the Word of God and believe it. Take the Word of God and, and look at it for exactly what it says they were 10 times better. These guys were really really good. God interceded in their lives. God does this. And then it says they were brought into the king's personal service. Their names were synonymous with just enormous enormous talent. God was the one who brought them up. You know so much when we when we start our careers we want to somehow make a name for ourselves. I want to make a name for myself. I want, to, I want to really make a difference here. And it's not that these motivations are all bad. But it's just look at what the Scriptures teach us. I want to turn to Genesis. Let's turn to Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and turn to Genesis chapter 11. In Genesis chapter 11, it's this, this portion about the Tower of Babel when, when God confused the languages. So let's read from verse 1. Genesis chapter 11 verse 1. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words and came about as they journeyed east. They had found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used the bricks for stone and they used the tar for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into the heavens, and let us make for ourselves a name, otherwise we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And then the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have the same language, and this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there. "...and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad, and from there, from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth." So you see that humans had disobeyed God's commandment. They were told to go out to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, And they started just staying put. And so what God did in order to get them to fill the earth is He confused their language. And that caused them to scatter. But look at what their motivation was. Verse 4. Come, let us build for ourselves a city. And that turns out to be the city of Babylon. Babel was the beginnings of the city of Babylon. And a tower whose top will reach into the heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. So look at the motivation. Let's make for ourselves a name. Let's really mark this thing. Now turn over to the next chapter. Turn over to to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to read about a man named Abram, who later became, God named him Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, reading from verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So in verse two, it says, God says to him, I will make your name great. I am telling you, this is so much sweeter. If we would learn to pray. Lord, You make my name great. Lord, according to Your way, according to Your will. This is the scriptural pattern. And I've seen this. And I've seen this happen from the time that I was your age. I lived in a, uh, the last two years of my undergraduate time. I lived in a, in a house where, with, with nine other Christian guys and it was part of a discipleship program uh, during my last two years of college. And, and I could see that there were guys that just wanted to, to focus totally on their schoolwork. And I studied a lot. I mean, I studied a real lot, but I still had activities that I had to do, responsibilities in that house. I had to attend prayer meetings, had to attend discipleship classes, had to attend the, the dinners three times a week with, with, with the guys in the house and, and the different things that we did. And, and, and then, then had the activities and getting the, uh, the church service set up in the morning because it was associated with the, with the church that, that we were a part of. Then there were other guys that would engage very little. And, and uh, uh, they would focus totally on their work. And now as, as I look back, I see those guys' careers that were, versus the ones that dedicated their work to doing their schoolwork, but also doing the work of the Lord. It is just so different what God has done, the levels and the doors that God has opened up. God opens doors. This is what's demonstrated to us in the book of Daniel. You have the lives of four men, Daniel in particular, plus his three friends. And you see that God instructed them. God taught them. God brought them so that they were ten times better than anybody else. I know the testimony from my own life. When I was a freshman, I was just a a very ordinary student and struggling, just like ordinary students and And uh, uh I was struggling in freshman chemistry because some advisor in in his his infinite wisdom thought, because I'm a chemistry major, it's good for me to be in the majors program in, in the uh, honors program. I didn't need to be in the honors program. I needed to be in with the masses. I needed to to learn freshman chemistry from from the beginning, not not assuming that I knew a whole lot. And I was just and, and I became a believer. In November 7th of 1977, of my freshman year of college, and I started to pray for my work. I ended up, thankfully, I was so thankful, with a B-plus in freshman chemistry at the end of that first semester, the freshman honors class. And God had really blessed to bring me from where I was to get a B-plus. But I saw God intercede, and I don't know that He does this for everybody, but I'm just telling you what He did with my life what happened is just everything began to click. And so that by the time I graduated, I was number one of all chemistry majors. And that was so unusual for me. I mean, God just seemed to open this. And I just just understood so much more than other people. Now, I studied a lot more than most other people too. But God really blessed. And then I saw it throughout my career, again and again, as I was giving my heart in service and in honor to Him, I would wake up every morning and I would dedicate the initial time in the morning for reading the scriptures and honoring God in that. I participated in the activities of the ministries in the local church that I was part of. And God blessed over and over and over again. And I saw the hand of God. And I've seen it not just in my own life, I've seen it in other students' lives, what God has done. And so it's not just a data point with me. I have so many data points that I can look at in my life of what God has done. I don't guarantee you that He's going to bless your studies, but He's going to bless you in some way. That I know. That I know. He has different ways of working in the lives of, of people. But if you will dedicate and take this Word of God seriously, and then there are other things, other decisions that I made. I made decisions not to to go in the way of many students and to do the things that many students did. I made decisions not to do that. And God honored those decisions. Friday nights, Friday nights were were prayer meetings and I was going to prayer meeting on Friday nights. Other students were doing other things. Then after the prayer meeting, I'd go find a room and study some more. But I'd go to the prayer meeting. I mean, to me, that was important. Prayer meeting was something important. It was important to the church that I was a part of. And it was important to me to follow that. And I realized that God blessed, that God anointed. When we had, we would go from that discipleship house door-to-door outreach in the neighborhoods. And, and, uh, and, and I would go with them. And I was always there doing the door-to-door outreach. And I saw the blessing of God, the blessings of God that dropped into people's lives. I knew a young man, he would, he would just set up the, the church in the morning to get everything set up for people. And I saw God blessing his life so much because he would quietly go there early and get, get the room set up and get it all cleaned up and mopped up and, and, and set up the chairs. I've seen this with my own eyes. You see, blessings that occur where God brings in a blessing and anointing and the whole atmosphere, the whole attitude of the person is different. I want to look at another person. Turn to Genesis chapter 39. So the same book, Genesis chapter 39. We're going to look at this young man, Joseph. So Joseph was a young man at the age of 17. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. His brothers were jealous of him. They sold him into slavery and they took him into slavery in Egypt. So from Israel to Egypt is really not that far. We're talking, I don't know, a few hundred miles. But when you don't have a cell phone and you're a slave, it might as well be, you know, 20,000 miles. It's just, you're just totally gone from everything in your culture. It says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt in Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. And Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguards, bought him from the Ishmaelites and had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house and all that he owned he put in his charge. And it came about from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph such that the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Remember what what Daniel is showing us. What Daniel is showing us is how did the believer, how do believers live under Gentile rule? How do we as believers live under the rule, under governments that are not particularly Christian? Because we are in the time of the Gentiles. We are still in the time of the Gentiles. That means that this is non-God reign. And God has this place for us in this place in history. How do we live? This young man chose to live so differently, so much so that the people who were around him, that though he was a slave, he was shining so much God was blessing him. You can be working in a laboratory if you keep your mind on the Lord and if you start your day by reading the Scriptures and dedicating your life to the Lord, people will look to you. You will start moving up. And this is what happened in this young man's life. And then there was an accusation made against Joseph uh, uh, that Potiphar's wife started hitting on him and, and, and he wouldn't have anything to do with it, so she told a lie about him. And so now he ends up in prison. So from being a slave, he ends up now in prison. Verse 19, Now when his master had heard the words of his wife, which he spoke to him. This is in Genesis 39, verse 19. This is what your slave did to me. His anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were, confined, and he was there in the jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. How did it prosper? The Lord made it to prosper. The scriptures are very, very specific. It's not because, oh, Joseph was just inherently talented. You know, one of those Students at Rice that just never seems to have to work hard and they know everything. No, he wasn't. It was the Lord did this. The Lord did it. The Lord caused whatever he did to prosper. So that he gets thrown in jail and before you know it, he's running the jail. I mean, he's a prisoner, but he's running the jail. And and his his life was just so much different. In fact, there were two of the king's servants eventually were thrown into a jail. A a, a, a the cupbearer and the baker were thrown into the jail. And Joseph, if you turn over to Genesis chapter 40, we'll read from verse 6. Genesis 40 verse 6. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. And he asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in in confinement in the master's house, why are your faces so sad today? So here is Joseph, a slave in prison, looking at other prisoners and saying, Why are you guys so dejected? Why are you so sad? Well, duh, I mean, how about because we're here? Because we're here with you. I mean, you, you see that his whole attitude is different. This tells us that we could be living in an environment that's all bad from the world's perspective. Yet our attitudes can be totally different. He's looking to them. He's saying, why are you looking so dejected? What can I do to help you? It changes your attitude. This is so beautiful. When we learn to read the Scriptures and have a life of prayer, it changes our attitude so that when everybody else is talking about how negative life is and how negative this job is and no nothing's good, the boss is terrible, the the money's terrible, everything's bad. I mean, you can just look at it. I feel fine. I'm doing just fine. This is a mark of a person who has a relationship with God. It really is. It causes us to rise above the things of this world. This is exactly what was happening with Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. His three friends. This is exactly what was happening. The change, the difference there between he and the others. According to the things of the world, they should have been skinny and and, and they should have looked like vegetarians because they were. But they weren't. They were were healthy. They were strong. And their minds were just totally clear. And they were ten times better than anyone else. This is what God does. But we have a choice in this. He doesn't just do it magically. It is something that comes out of a depth of relationship. You see in Daniel. Daniel was praying for the good of King Nebuchadnezzar, as we'll see. Daniel was interested in seeing the king do well. Here is the one, the king, that had attacked his country, that had taken him away, that had him renamed, so that he was to lose all all resemblance from the culture in which he came. And Daniel is praying for his good. Did you know that you can pray for the good of, of a negative boss, you can pray for their good. You can pray for their welfare. And in that, what it does is it changes your attitude, my attitude toward the boss. When you pray for them, it changes your attitude toward them. And this is exactly what Daniel had. The king loved being around Daniel. He made him in his personal service. He said, I want to see you four guys all the time. You know how there's people that you just like to be around because they're an encouragement? This is what the king felt about these three slaves. He just wanted to be around them. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar had lots of things that he could have filled his life with. Lots of entertainers. You know, the court jester. Just bring them in. I need a laugh. But he wanted to surround himself with these four men because of their attitude. I mean, when I, when I find someone with a negative attitude, I'm like, I just don't want to be around them because that's contagious. I mean, I'll start complaining just like them. And I just want to stay away from them. I remember talking to one scientist. He said, oh yeah, I tried it. I just couldn't get anything to work. Couldn't get it to work. And I'm thinking, I don't want to be around you. I don't want this kind of attitude that you can't get anything to work. I want to hang around scientists that got lots of things to work. So I want to be around. People want to be around people that are going to lift them up. Let's turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to see that this is God's intent for us, actually. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. 1 Corinthians one twenty-six. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not, so that He may nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God, but by His doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, So that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So this is what he says. Consider your calling. He's speaking to believers because he says, consider your calling brethren. This means people who have decided to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's calling them brothers. Consider your calling, brethren. There were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. God has specifically chosen you because you're not the most talented. That's what that's what it says, because you're not the most talented, because you don't have the highest confidence, because you don't have the highest self-esteem. That's why God has chosen you. But God has chosen. he, He says there's not many noble among you. There are some, but there's not many. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not so that He might nullify the things that are. God has chosen the base things. That means the ones in the basement. Those are the ones that He has chosen. I can tell you from my own life what has happened. I was just just a very average student. So much so that when people who knew me as a child growing up people who were my contemporaries my friends they see me in adulthood and they're like come on how did that happen they can't believe it because they know they know and i get i get these faculty from from all over the world wanting to speak with me so that I can give them a word of encouragement, they say, "Would you mentor me? We just had a, we, we had a, a, a big meeting here at Rice, and there was this this one professor from yale he says, he says "I need you to mentor me." he says, "I just need to learn from you he 's a believer." He saw one of my talks once in a, in a Veritas forum he says, "I just need to learn from you and uh, and then he he introduced me to a a, a, a an Israeli professor who's also a professor at Yale now, but he started out as a... Uh, he's from Israel originally. And this professor was saying to me, he says, that guy told me that you're a Christian and now you just told me that your daughter lives in Jerusalem and she made Aliyah, which means she, she's a Jew. Are you a Christian or are you a Jew? So I started to explain this to him. And I started to tell him about the Lord and about Isaiah the prophet and the things that Isaiah said. And so this other guy from Yale who had wanted to mentor... He says, says, how do you do this? How do you do this? You just start talking about God to an Israeli Jewish professor. How do you do this? And then there was another Jewish professor who was there at the meeting too, who asked me to mentor him because he's, he's, he's he's a professor in Israel, but he's a Christian in Israel, and he's long been asking me to mentor him. And he came... And he was there at the meeting too. He, he said to me, he says, look at this. You just start talking to this guy about God. And I'm just telling you, this is not me. You think, oh, Jim Tour, he can do this. This is not me. I don't know how to do this. I just don't know how it happens. I just start talking. And people start listening to me about God. It was at the Veritas Forum this week at Tulane. Here I was talking and I was talking about how, how with abiogenesis, you, 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 you can have all the... the, the, the Enzymes you want, all the DNA, all the RNA, all the sequences you want, everything in a freezer. Now what are you going to do? You're going to put these together? Form even one cell out of this. You can't. Nobody can. This is where I challenge the audience. I said, all you professors out there, come on, can you do it? Tell us. I mean, they were terrified. (laughs) I don't know how this happens. I'm telling you, this is what God does. God brings up. God is the one who exalts. God is the one who does this type of thing. It is He who brings us up. Turn to to First Samuel, and we'll close with this. First Samuel. First Samuel is in the Old Testament, about ten books in. Uh, uh, turn turn to First Samuel chap, chapter two. 1 Samuel chapter two. And and there's this amazing prayer, and actually this prayer is requoted in Psalm 113, and this prayer is requoted by Mary, the mother of Jesus, when she starts praising God. He says in verse 8, uh, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 8, this, this, this prayer by Samuel's mother, it says, He raises the poor from the dust, He lifts the needy from the ash heap, to make them sit with nobles, and inherit the seat of honor. For the pillars... Of the earth are the Lord's and he set the whole world on them. Look what it says. It says he raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles. This is the only rationale that I have for what's happened in my life. This is it. He's taken me from the ash heap and has me sit with these people. This is what he will do with you. For me, this is not just a bunch of words where I'm talking about a man named Daniel and a man named Joseph. I have seen this in my own life. I have seen what God does with people that will read the scriptures and honor his word. I have seen it. You want to make a name for yourself? Go ahead. Try. There's a lot of people out there in the world making names for themselves. Go ahead. Compete with them. See how well you do. Or you can say, Lord, as you did with Abram, make my name great. And Abram was a man who feared God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Lord, you make my name great, I pray. You do that and your name will be great because God will do it. He will give you a talent better than anyone else can do if you will but fear him. He will do it. Let's pray. Abba Father, thank You so much for Your Word, for the truth of it. And I pray, Lord, for these young people that they would take hold of Your Word today. That they would come to understand that this is not just written for Daniel or for Joseph or for Daniel's three friends. But Lord, that you have a special place for each one of them. I have no idea what you are going to do in their lives. If they will seek your face, read the scriptures and believe it. I have no idea. But Lord, you do. You have a plan for each one. Lord, work in their lives, I pray. And Father, for the the ones here who do not know you. Who have never accepted Jesus in their hearts. Lord, I pray that you'd open up their hearts this day so that they too could understand what it is to give their lives to Jesus, that they would follow you. Father, work in their lives, I pray, by the grace and the mercies of God, work in their lives. In the name of Jesus, amen.